So, um, <clears throat> last few days ago, I was uh, talking with Brother Randy, and uh, one of the brothers who's been in our sphere was over visiting him, and the conversation came up, and one of the uh, conversations came up had to do with his doctrine that you know, he's believed in, and it had to do with the, you know, the, the Trinity or the Godhead, and uh, we were talking about it, <clears throat> and about the uh, the three in one or the one in three, right? I don't know if you heard about these things, but it's like this: the one that one this Pentecostal ideology of the Godhead and how they see that it's it's one manifested in three three beings, not three in one. And I've never really understood it. It's been confusion to me. And whenever I hear it, I don't have peace. And so I was kind of disturbed about it. And <clears throat> I thought I should really seek the Lord and the Word on it because I want to have an answer. You know, when these things come up, we should be able to, to direct people, guide people, expose if there's uh, deception, you know, or confusion. God's not the author of confusion. And uh, it just, you know, it can be 11 if it's not from the Spirit. If it's supposed to be a revelation, why is it, why can it just bring confusion and, and uh, division, right? It doesn't, it doesn't really build unity, I find, when there's something that's strong that someone believes in, and uh, but there's no peace in it. Well, I want to know if it's truth, then we need to know. So I thought I would seek the scripture about what it means when you know the Father says that or Jesus says that I and the Father are one, right? <clears throat> and that we are one. You know what does that mean? They're one. So is it does this have to do with you know the, that Jesus is the Father, Jesus is the Spirit, He's all these three, He manifests Himself as the Father and the Spirit. You know, three in one. As or does it mean three persons, right? As one. Like the way I understand the Trinity is the three persons as one. But even that's kind of been a bit. You know, outside our box, right? But as I was uh, searching the scriptures, I had a little more light on uh, what that means, what that really means. You know, even in the Old Testament, it, it, the the commandment, "Hear, O Lord, God, our God is one." Right? The Lord God of Israel, He is one God. Then we go to Genesis, and it says, "Let us make man in our image." Right? So it's like, yeah, it's there was people there, right? There was there was Jesus, the Father, Spirit. Let us. There was three. Us, so can't separate that. Can't separate that part. And uh, we know that Jesus said the Father is greater than I. You know, and we know that in First Corinthians 15, uh, it says that when the end comes, that He will subject all the kingdom back to the Father. And even it says the Son will subject Himself to the Father. It says in First Corinthians 15 in the end. So you read these scriptures and you wonder, like, what does it mean to be one? How are they distinct from one another? <clears throat> and this is the Godhead. The uh, you believe, right? That we know that God was in Christ recon- reconciling us to Himself. So God was in Christ. He was in Jesus. Yet there's, this, there's what it says in Ephesians 4, there's one Father, there's one Lord, and there's one Spirit, and there's one baptism. So there's Father, there's Lord, there's the Spirit. And uh, these three, and yet they're one. And so as I was uh, searching these things, it helped me to understand why the Father desires this oneness. Because when I looked up these scriptures, I found out that this was Jesus' very prayer, was that we would become one as He is one. That was the whole focus of why we, why Jesus would explain to His disciples that He was one with the Father. The whole purpose of that revelation was that they would become like them, like the, the Father and the Son are one. So in order to for us to become one, we have to actually understand what makes the Father and the Son one, and the Spirit? What what to, what is it that makes them one? Because that's what His desire for us is to be one like that. So if we don't know this mystery, then really we don't understand that that oneness, and that's what I uh, <clears throat> I desire to know more of.
And so in part, I can share what... Trust the Scriptures will shed light on these things. And I want to read from John 17. And we can see that Jesus, as He was praying, in verse 3, He said, This is eternal life, that they may know thee, or you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So, I mean, His prayer was that they would know the Father and Jesus Christ. There's the Father and the Son. And that was eternal life, to know the Father, to know the Son. Of course, Jesus said things like, If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So does that mean Jesus is the Father? No, he never. Not in one place does it say that Jesus is the Father. There's no scripture that says that. The scripture that says that He is the express image, or the invisible image of the Father, the radiance of His glory, or He is one with the Father, or if you've seen Him, you've seen the Father. But what do these things mean? So Jesus is praying that, that His uh, disciples, that we would also know Him and the Father. That's important. <clears throat> and He began to pray that they would the Lord that um, the Father would keep them from the evil one and that they would keep his word. This is the, the emphasis of his prayer was that they would believe his word, they would keep his word, they would turn from the evil one. And through that that it says in verse eleven uh, I am no more in the world and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given them are given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So this is the prayer that Jesus has. That he would, uh, the Father would keep them in his name. The name that he had given Jesus. Which is what? God saves them, Jesus Christ. He will set, save them from their sins. In his name, or in his, who he, the express image of who Jesus is. Truth. He was the way, the truth, and life. So in abiding in Jesus, that they would become one with the Father. That's the only way they could become one with the Father, is through Jesus in his name. And he goes on to say in uh, verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So this is the prayer that Jesus has. That's leading up to this whole, uh, his, his desire that they would be one, is to sanctify them, which means to set them apart, to become holy in truth, right? It has to be in truth. That's how he sanctifies us, is in truth, which is his word. The word comes from Jesus Christ. And it says here, thy word is truth, your word is truth. So when we believe his word, there's something about it. I've noticed it from time to time. It's like, you come, sometimes you just feel defiled from your flesh. And all of a sudden, you read the word, and you start believing something in the word, but you haven't done anything, and you just feel life. And you feel good, you feel clean. This is an amazing thing to me. But I know it's true because the Word is truth and His Word sanctifies us and cleanses us. And when you read the Word and you believe the Word, it produces something inside of you, I find. It's just, it's a miracle. It produces faith inside of you and it washes you, makes you clean. And this is what we call the righteousness of faith. Something about this, right? Because there's nothing we do. We just believe His Word. And then, of course, there's an abiding in that Word. But what happens is that righteousness already comes before you do the doing. I think from the beginning, it's like when I believe in the Word, I remember getting the joy, and it's like the desire to do the good. It came with the faith. It's like you want to please the Lord now, because when He shows you His love, and He cleanses you, and He forgives you of your sins, it's like much love, right, comes. Because you've been forgiven love, so you have much love, and you want to obey the truth. You just want to. 
That is the righteousness of faith. But when you have no revelation of His Word and His forgiveness, then it's very difficult to do the thing, the good that you want to do. And that's from Romans 7 passage, right? The good you want to do. And you can't because you're not really believing the Word and struggling to do these things because your flesh actually desires its lusts. And Jesus is saying that He will sanctify us in His truth and we believe His Word. He will set us apart. Now this is the beginning to becoming one with the Father. It says here, As you have sent me into the world, verse 18, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus set himself apart when he was in the world. He himself set himself apart. He learned obedience to the things that he suffered, it says. That's one way he did that. He had to submit himself to everything that the Father said. When he was on the earth, he had his own will. And when he listened to what the Father said, that is how he sanctified himself, and that is what made him one with the Father. Because he was exactly the image of his Father. Because everything he heard from the Father, he did. That's what made him one with the Father. This is the mystery. Everything that the Father told him to do, when he had another desire in himself, he put it to death, and he said, I will do what you ask, Father. And that is what made him one. Because he was of the same mind. You know when the word scripture says, be of one mind? You know, when there's division on the brother, what does Paul exhort them? He says, be of one mind. And so we, we put to death our will, our missions. We consider our brothers and we come to one mind. That's what makes unity, is it's crucifying our desires. And that's what made Jesus one with the Father in this way. <clears throat> Jesus, the Father and the Son, in perfect harmony. Because there's no darkness in them, there's perfect light in them. And so Jesus set himself apart to be an example to his disciples that they would be sanctified so that they could become one. Well, this is what he says. Now I do not ask, verse 20, on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, that they may all, not just the disciples, but his whole church, his prayer is that they would be one. Like There has to be a value in this, because this is the last prayer Jesus has. This is his prayer. The disciples have not yet come to this place. Remember that they, there was divisions even among them in their pride and in their desire to be the greatest. So that was the evidence that they were not one because they actually would want to be better than their brothers. How can that make you one? That actually is selfish ambition. There's no oneness in that. There cannot be harmony in that. And so Jesus was praying that they would come to that. So I see people who have a desire to serve Jesus, you know, like us, yet we see there's struggles we have in our flesh, right? We have bitterness at times. We have unforgiveness that rises up. We recognize... We can have judgments in our, in our hearts, even against our brothers. We can have these struggles. And I, the disciples had the same things, because Jesus was praying that they would become one. And he was praying this in hope and in faith that something would happen. They would be sanctified further to get to this place. Sanctified further. So that in the meantime, they would seek the unity of the Spirit until they would come to this greater unity. So he's promising them. What does he promise them? He's promising them the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what he's promising them? Because without the Holy Spirit, you can never get to this oneness. The Holy Spirit is what brings us to the oneness because the Holy Spirit gives you power to deny yourself and to listen to the Father and do what He asks you to do through Jesus Christ. And this is what makes us, this is what how we are going to come to in one, oneness and unity. It's going to be the work of the Spirit and listening to His Word and being sanctified in His Word. So the evidence to me, when I, I look at myself and I'm reading these things and I'm thinking, Lord, I, want, I desire greater unity amongst my brothers, amongst our body, and I see my own flesh where I have my struggles that can bring disunity and division. And so it shows me that I have not yet been sanctified in truth in these certain areas. 
Because the way to, to become one is through sanctification of His Word. And I have not died in these areas. And so there can be selfish ambitions there that cause... A selfish ambition can bring a disunity against my brother. It can be something in my flesh. It can bring disunity. And this is why we need to be sanctified by His Word. And His Word is going to produce the, the, the faith in us. The hope in us. To want to die to these, these desires which don't compare in comparison with this oneness that is in Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. This oneness is eternal life because in heaven there is perfect oneness. There is absolutely no division in darkness. But hell is totally the opposite. There is The devil is... There is no oneness with him and even his demons. There is total chaos and confusion in there. It's all self and hierarchy and authority and of self. And the devil is, brings division. <clears throat> and in fact, even amongst the demons, they operate through fear. Through fear of the uh, amongst the other ones, like just terror and fear. That's how they operate. It's not like that in heaven. <clears throat> and in hell, there's there's no fellowship. There will be no fellowship. It's complete darkness, complete loneliness from the testimonies we've heard. And we know uh, that when there's separation from God, there is absolutely no fellowship. That is what hell is, and heaven is complete fellowship with the Father. That's what heaven is. To know Him, that's what it says. So, his prayer is, verse 20, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. So here we see this trinity. This trinity is that Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in the Son, so something there, something that they have, that fellowship, that's what that is. You know what that means? When, when the Father is in Jesus, and the Jesus is in the Father, it means they're in total fellowship. That's what that means. And so, it says here that they also will be in us. So it means we get to be part of this. Christ in us, right? God is in us. This is what we get to be part of. This oneness that's in the Father. So, this helped me to understand it. This is what the Trinity, the Godhead is. This, this oneness has to do with fellowship. Because if I'm in fellowship with Jesus, then He's in me. And I'm in Him. Just like the Father and the Son are in one another. That's what makes them one. Not the fact that they're one person and they have this different appearance. Now they're the Spirit as in the ghost form. Now it's Jesus in the flesh. Now it's the Father. That's not, that's not what it is. It's not what it is. <clears throat> because we see examples in the, in the Word that when Jesus was baptized, He was in the flesh. He heard the voice of His Father speaking to Him. And the Spirit appeared as a dove there also and rested upon Him. Also is the fact that when Jesus was on the cross, He became sin for us. And at that moment, the Father turned his face away from the Son. That was the only moment in all history that fellowship was broken between the Father and the Son. They were completely one, and always have been, except for one point in time. And that was when the Father turned his face away, and Jesus said, Father, you have forsaken me. And the one time that happened was when my sin and your sin was on Jesus Christ. And that is what breaks fellowship, and that's what breaks disunity. And that's what brings disunity in our body, is when we have sin in our flesh. And we don't die to sin is what brings this unity. That's what this that's where hell is. That's where all people who walk in sin and darkness, but that's the end of hell. It's just sin, total disunity and darkness. But when we turn away from sin, we come to Jesus, he brings us in complete oneness as he is with the Father. And this is the great mystery that Jesus actually tasted this. Not only did he taste having sin upon himself, but it was the ultimate experience of being broken having broken fellowship with the Father. He took that punishment when he had never experienced that before. Never once had he ever experienced this unity. And it made sense to me when Jesus was in anguish, you know, in, in Gethsemane, going to the cross and sweating drops of blood to actually have to experience for the first time in all of the eternity that he was with the Father, that he would not have fellowship with the Father for those hours on the cross, and however long that was. 
That is the, the greatest thing that he did for us. And then he was raised from the dead and he had fellowship back with the Father. And he sent the Spirit so that now we can have fellowship with him. Because if that brokenness of fellowship between Christ and the Father had not happened, we would never have eternal life. Because that's the wages of sin. That is the wage of sin. is This fellowship completely from the Father. Jesus took it. And now we have this opportunity to believe in Him and have complete oneness with Him. And this is His prayer that even as the disciples are believing that they would have greater oneness and the Spirit is going to come to bring them this to them to this place. So that they would be one, also maybe one, maybe in us rather, that the world may believe that you have sent me. So this has everything to do with people believing. This is like, you can preach a sermon, you can preach everything you want, but I'm convinced of it, that if I don't have fellowship and unity with the body of Christ that the Lord has brought me in, how can I actually be a testimony? Because the scripture tells us here that the unbelievers are going to believe in Jesus when they see Jesus in us through the unity of the Spirit, through the unity that is in us, as we are sanctified in truth. There will be something that happens among us that makes us one, that people, believers, will see this thing, and they will believe in Jesus from it. This is what the scripture says. And I believe it's true, <clears throat> because it's, they can see God in you, right? You know how in 1 John 4 it says, no one has ever seen God, right? No one has ever seen God, but it says, we know that God is in us, that Christ is in us. In other words, that's how they see Him. And the greatest demonstration of that is unity amongst brethren. How good it is for brothers to dwell in unity. There's such a, something there that the world doesn't know about. The love that the world has an understanding of is totally different from the, the love that's in Jesus Christ. This unity. And so this is a glory that is there. Verse 22, And the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. This is what he is desiring. There's the eternal life manifested through the Spirit, bringing brothers such harmony where just you're so dead to self. You just have such love for your brothers. And you don't want to hurt your brothers. You want to just build up your brothers. And there's such a unity there that it glorifies the Father that we bear this kind of fruit. It so glorifies them. And I in them and you in me. See, when that happens, this, we are all in one another. We are one in one another. And it says that they may be perfected in unity or a perfect unit. I think of New Jerusalem. We're going to read that in Ephesians 2. How it's a spiritual temple. It's one temple. And we're inside of Him. Right? And He's in us like living stones, but we're also inside of Him. This is the perfect unit. Right? This is what eternal life is. Such oneness. We don't know the depths of it. But I believe this is what Jesus is uh, speaking of to His disciples. That His desire was that perfect unity. And the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. So the world is going to know that God loved them the same way that He loved Jesus Christ when we come to this perfect unit, this stone by stone knit together, you know, as we are being sanctified in truth. And that His desire is here in verse 24, that they also whom you have given me, Jesus says, will be with me where I am in order that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. <clears throat> And his prayer was in the end of 26, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So now he ends in talking about this love, right? I mean, the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. So how do we get to this place where this love abides in us, that the world can see it, and it, it has to be preceded by this unity amongst the brethren, which is preceded by 
the sanctification of his word. Returning from darkness. <clears throat> and John had this revelation, 1 John 1. <clears throat> Similar uh, principles and context. Now we can see here, now John is talking about fellowship, but this has everything to do with what Jesus was praying about. And it has exactly to do with the eternal life that Jesus was talking about. So verse 2, The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested. So this eternal life was with the Father. Jesus was with the Father and was manifested to us that we have seen, and John says, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you that we also may have fellowship, uh, that you also may have fellowship with us. What is he saying? He's saying, we want to become one with you, brothers. So we're writing to you about what we know about Jesus, so we can tell you the way, the truth, and the life, so that we can have more fellowship with one another, because our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That is almost quoted exactly what Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 3, right? This is eternal life, to know the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So our fellowship was the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. This eternal life that John's talking about. So he says, we're writing these things that our joy may be made complete. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. Now look what he talks about in the next verse. If we say that we have fellowship, we say we have fellowship and we're in unity and we're, you know, brothers, and yet we walk in darkness, we're not sanctified in the areas of our heart, in truth, then we lie and we don't practice the truth. There really is no fellowship there. But if we walk in the light, we come to the light in those areas of life, our life, then we have unity. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So there's sanctification by the blood of Jesus and in holiness as we come to the light so that we have oneness with the Father. Because in Him there is no darkness. So this is what John is talking about. This is what his desire is. I, as I was realizing this, I'll tell you how it helped me. It helped me to see when I have these struggles in myself, when I see, Lord, I just have these desires of just oneness and unity that I want to... Then I say, Lord, I have to see those areas in my life where I'm not coming to the light for me. Right? Because when you're battling it, that's how the, the enemy's bringing divisions. He's bringing divisions because he's trying to keep us from being sanctified in the truth. <clears throat> One or another to bring disunity because that is eternal life. And that's why we lose the life. We lose the life because of the sin that brings... Because there's such, there's such strength, I find, when there's unity amongst the body of Christ and amongst the brothers. It's like when you are in perfect unity, you just want to overcome the world. Right? There's so much strength in there because it's the Spirit is abiding amongst us. But it's the difficult thing is when there's division. And it's like Jesus was working on Peter and the disciples to bring him to this place because he knew that there could be uh, discord if this were to remain, the self-confidence this the brothers had. They had some self-confidence there. And think about how it was that they came to unity at Pentecost. How did they all receive the Holy Spirit? What had to happen before that? They had to all deny him and fall away. They had to deny him because the pride had to be manifested because it was bringing disunity because it was of the flesh. And that was disrupting because they were thinking amongst themselves who was the greatest one. Even the women... You know, they looked in a certain way among the women, but we read that at Pentecost, that Mary and Martha and the brothers were all in one accord praying, and the Holy Spirit came. This one accord. And it was after the death of Jesus Christ, which means that through the cross, Jesus showed us how to turn away from the darkness and come to the light, so that we can have this unity, so that the Spirit can come. 
Because the Spirit comes when, as we seek this unity of the Spirit, as we deny ourselves and pick up the cross, there is something that happens. <clears throat> you know, as I read these scriptures and believe in them, and I just think about experiences in the past, how the Spirit works. You know, when you come as we come as we are, and we just want to come to light, and all of a sudden we lay aside all our uh, judgments and our thoughts and these things, and the Spirit comes and it brings unity amongst us. And this is what the eternal life, it's a taste of the eternal life that's in Jesus. <clears throat> You know what's interesting is in chapter 2, later on, he talks about, verse 9, about the one who's in the light yet hates his brother. You see how he's exposing this area of disunity amongst brethren. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. See, there's no darkness. That's where the fellowship is. Because there's no cause for stumbling in him, verse 10. But the eleven, the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. What does this hate look like, you know? You get these thoughts buffeting your head about some brother or some sister or some person or boss, even, or whoever who's making it hard for you or difficult for you and the enemy tries to work that angle <clears throat> he works that angle but we have to rather forgive we have to rather say Lord I am want to pray and pursue the unity of the spirit and this is how the devil works <clears throat> but we know that when we come to the light we have fellowship with Jesus and the evidence will be it will manifest there will be such fellowship there and <clears throat> this is what Jesus was praying for his disciples this is what John is asking for as I was thinking about these things, I also thought of Ephesians chapter 2. I was thinking, is it 2? Is it 3 and 1? Is it 1 and 3? And I realized Jesus is always making the many into one. He takes the many and he makes them one. This is the principle I see in the scripture and we can see here in Ephesians. We see this in two places in Ephesians. We see this in chapter 2 with between the Jew and the Gentile. Look, Think about the Jew and the Gentile. What ha- what did the enemy do? Through the pride of Israel. Through the pride of Israel, their self-righteousness, what happened? They despised the Jews. And they looked down upon them as unclean. Right? And think about what Jesus did to Peter even after he got the Holy Spirit when he obviously was leaning back on his nature and his fleshly ways. He was still sort of despising the Gentiles because the Lord had to show him the vision we heard about last Sunday three times. Do not call unclean or common, what God has made clean. And he, the Lord showed him the vision to prepare his heart. So what? So that the Holy Spirit could come. See how the enemy would hinder that? Because can you imagine if the Holy Spirit wants to bring, uh, pour his spirit out, and bring unity amongst the lost, and, and here we have these um, prejudices, and these biases, and these things in our hearts that are not pure, and maybe it's rooted in pride, <clears throat> like it was for the Jews. You know how James and some were led astray in hypocrisy because of the pride, and Peter uh, and Paul rebuked it. Paul rebuked it because he saw this was bringing division and the enemy was going to come. And so the Lord had even spoken to Peter and said, Peter, don't call unclean when I make clean. And so, and preparing his heart for that, sanctifying him in truth, what happened? Peter went out, he preached the gospel to the Gentiles, and they all got filled with the Holy Spirit. And they were glorifying God. Right? And Paul, when he was preaching, and then things would happen amongst the Gentiles, they said, this is amazing. God has granted repentance and life to the Gentiles also. And they began glorifying God. And there was this unity of the Spirit. <clears throat> And God had to work in their hearts first to deal with that so that the Spirit could come. <clears throat> Same thing here, we see that these Gentiles, there was a, there was a, a wall and a, <clears throat> a division between the Jew and the Gentile. And Jesus tore it down. Now it says here about the Gentiles, that's us. We uh, were called the uncircumcision, verse 12. We were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That's just discouraging and depression. Imagine, just no hope, there's no God for us. But then it said, Jesus Christ. 
came to us. We were once far away from him, far off. <clears throat> but now we have brought, been brought near. How? It was through the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice. He himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. There's the oneness. It's the same oneness. The same oneness of the Father and the Son that we have with the Father. Bringing everything into one. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What did he do? He made fellowship between the Jew and the Gentile. That's how he made them one. He made fellowship between them. And he did it through the cross. It's exactly the same way how he wants to bring unity in, in my heart, with my brothers and amongst us. Is through the cross by abolishing all the hostility that's in the flesh. That's what it says here. So let's read verse 14. So he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. How does he make two brothers one again? How does he make a Jew and a Gentile one? How does he make husband and wife one? <clears throat> he broke down the barrier and the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man and establish peace. That was the Lord's desire. It was the mystery from long ago which he just desire to accomplish to break down the hostility towards the Gentile through the law right? which is the judging because you see it's like this it's like you see a fault in your brother and you know that fault is wrong and you are actually 100% right but by judging your brother that does not make you righteous or by faith or holy that does not make you one bit uh, a judge over him righteously because the Jews according to the law could judge the Gentile and say they were unclean. What did Jesus do? Did he do that? No. When the woman was there, he said, Woman, who condemns you? She said, No one. Neither do I condemn you. He said, Go and sin no more. That was the new covenant way. That was the better way. So my brother has sinned against me. And it's, it's true. It's, he did it. It was wrong. I have a choice now. To condemn him in my mind, continually, or to put the thought to death and say, Father, I don't condemn. I forgive. Seventy times seven. I continue to forgive. Because I'm going to abolish in my flesh the hostility that I feel inside of me. Because my flesh has the hostility inside of it. And if Jesus forgave me all my debt of sin, and every time I sin, what does he do? He forgives me once again. forgives me once again. And if, if I feel like I'm struggling to get forgiven, well then there's a good chance that I need to go back and say, Lord, am I forgiving my brother? Am I forgiving my enemy? Right? Forgive me my trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So Jesus, he did not condemn the harlot the immoral woman, he did not condemn the Jew, or the, the Gentile rather, but he abolished it through the cross, and he made a way to bring unity <clears throat> in this way. So that, verse 16, he might reconcile them into one body. This is the church. To God through, through the cross, by having put to death this enmity. <clears throat> and he made, he preached peace to you who are far, far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Right? There's this one one spirit. But there's also the Father. But it's through Jesus Christ and the cross. And this is how we receive unity. So then, the end of this is that we are not strangers and aliens. That's like separation, you know, division. You just feel like an alien, a stranger to someone. It's like there's no fellowship there. But now he brought the Gentiles, that's us, into the house of God. <clears throat> we are now saints. We are fellow citizens because of what Jesus did. So when you think of division and and tests that come between one, one among another. Then we can think of Jesus and how what he did for us when we were aliens and we were separated and we weren't part of the family of God. And then he brought us home because he took the punishment, he took the sin, he bore it. And now he made us a house, verse 20, 
having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in which the whole building is being fitted together, growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. <clears throat> Through the Holy Spirit now, we can have this unity. It's a, it's a temple, <clears throat> a spiritual temple that we don't see with our eyes, but it's in the Spirit. And we can be knit together, and God wants to bring more stones into this temple. <clears throat> by abolishing and breaking down the barriers. That's what he wants to do. He wants to take them down. And this is what Paul preaches about all through in chapter 3. Um, he talks about he talks about love here. He talks in verse uh, uh, 16. His prayer was that he would grant these Ephesians, uh, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power and his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith, so, the dwelling of Christ in our hearts is through faith. <clears throat> it's through believing in Jesus and His Word. And in that, that we will become rooted and grounded in love and may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That's like Jesus making peace between Jew and Gentile which surpassed the laws of the ordinances and the commandments. All those things. There was something greater. Jesus saw love and He saw it was to go to the cross. It was the harder thing to do. He could have come like a Pharisee and preached the law and condemned them all. But what did he do? He chose the higher law, which represented death to himself, to obey the Father and say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And that is what actually brought the unity, to become the sacrifice, and that was love. And love surpasses knowledge. So when we can discern things in our mind, it doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean it's love. So we may be filled up to the fullness of God. So how are you going to get filled up with the fullness of the Spirit? We have to know the way of love. That's the way. We have to seek that fellowship that the Father says, this is the way that leads to true fellowship. Sanctify yourself in this area. You know, is there hostility? Is there enmity in the flesh? Bring it to Jesus. <clears throat> so that we can know the fullness of God. That's the fullness that He desired for His disciples. <clears throat> now to Him, who was able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what all we, we think, we ask, according to the power that works within us. These are big things. These are big mountains. You know, to come to these places. Sometimes I think, sometimes, Lord, I just want to, you know, this is what I want. I want the Spirit to come. But then it's easy, right? You can see all the things and you think it's so far. It's a mountain. Paul says, Paul, he can do exceedingly beyond what we can ask for. In chapter 4, what does he talk about? He's talking about unity of the Spirit. <clears throat> so it's all coming together. We see there's the cross of Jesus. He's bringing Jew and Gentile. Now we see there's a unity of the Spirit through one Father, one, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we see that it's all for what? For the building up of the body of Christ. <clears throat> Until we come to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the mature man, to the fullness of Christ. He wants us to grow up into Christ, to become one, to become one with Jesus. So we need to speak the truth in what? In love. Until and grow up into Jesus. And we need to be knit together. Verse 16. The whole body has to be fitted together and held together by that which every joint supplies. Every joint has a special function. <clears throat> One of the brothers wrote a uh, passage on this. It was good. About the joints, <clears throat> how they fit together, and how certain joints come together, and some joints, they fit differently, but it doesn't mean they're less part of the body. Certain joints, they just have a perfect fit. The knee joint to the here. Right? You can't join my arm to my... This part is a, a different joints. Each part has a special function. They fit together. So we can't be envious or jealous of certain relationships. That's, that's, that brings division in itself. But we have to appreciate 
how the different parts fit together and accept that and just encourage one another in it. And every joint will supply a part according to its proper working <clears throat> of each individual part bringing and causing growth for the body building of itself in, in love. <clears throat> it's all building up. So, what does Paul say after this? He talks about not walking as the Gentiles walk in the flesh. Because this is how it all gets torn down. How do you tear the body down? You just The flesh comes in there and it brings all kind of practice of greediness and impurity, verse 19. And so what does it say? In reference, verse 22, and in reference to our former manner of life, that we lay aside this old self, which is being corrupted according to the, the lusts of deceit. It all starts with just our lusts in our flesh. And then what happens is we get the carnal mind and the lusts, and then the devil gets in there, and suddenly division spread, starts. It's a gangrene. It just starts with the flesh. I see this here. So Paul says we need to turn away from these things. We need to pursue love. And we need to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We need to put on the, the new self. And then we can start laying aside the things that we speak that would tear down and that would defile. The anger he talks about. He talks about uh, our speech and all these things. Bitterness in verse 30, 31. And malice. And in verse 32 he says we need to be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. He's talking about forgiving them. Right? forgiving the debts, <clears throat> walking in love. And in chapter uh, 5, we see again how he makes, uh, talks about husband and wife, <clears throat> and the relationship. As Christ, it says in verse 31, uh, uh, verse 30, we, we are members of his body. So this is this oneness that Jesus is desiring. We are members of his body. Now this is the mystery, verse 31. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So this is another testimony of what God's principles speak of. This unity that he even makes naturally for us to see in a marriage. He takes a woman and a man, and boy, we see the evidence of this in the world, don't we? Just divorce. We just heard of a... We prayed for this lady, right? The devil's in there. What is he doing? Destroying the marriage? And what is the cause of it? He talks about this man is engaging in sins, more gross sins, and the marriage is destroyed. Do you see how that sin comes in and it just brings disunity? That is the work of the flesh and the devil. But what is the opposite of that? We see Jesus taking two people and making them one. Not just with Jew and Gentile, but a man and a woman. And that's difficult because a woman has her own will and a man has his own will. The woman would not choose to submit to the man. She would choose to do her own thing. And the man would choose to rule with, a, with an iron fist and not with love. But it says that a, a man ought to Love his wife as Christ loved the church. But you can't do that in your own strength because your flesh is hostile. And so the man and woman apart from Jesus is just chaos. But Jesus says that he can make them one. That is a miracle. And he causes this through his spirit. In the same way Jesus showed us this principle, this uh, example, as he left the Father. And he separated himself from the Father for those moments to become sin for us. So that he might become one with us as the bride of Christ. And the spirit and the bride say, come. They are one. <clears throat> we are the Spirit. And we say, come to the Lord Jesus. Come, right, for His coming back. And now this mystery, he says in verse 32, is a great mystery, but it's talking about Christ and the Church becoming one with Jesus. And as we seek that, and we pursue that, <clears throat> we will have a desire. When we see what Jesus has done for us, and how this fellowship with Him is so sweet, we will have a desire to be away with sin, and to just pursue love amongst one another, and be knit together. And the more we turn away from the darkness and come to the light and take it serious, because we want that fellowship with one another, we say, this is what I want. I want fellowship. 
I'm willing to count the cost in my flesh, in these areas. I'm willing to do that because I know the reward. Right? It's just like a marriage. If a marriage is not working, you, you don't want that marriage to be destroyed because you know the consequences of that. And so, someone who's God-fearing will say, I'm willing to deny myself. I'm going to make sacrifices to bring unity here. <clears throat> to lay down my privileges and my rights. You know, a man for his wife. And a, and a wife to lay down her ambitions and desires and to submit and willingly to serve and love so that there can be unity. And there is a blessing in that. And we see that. Even amongst our body here, the children, how they love the Lord <clears throat> and how their peace is upon them. We can see that when people believe the word and they're sanctified in truth. How God makes the man and the woman one and how the offspring are godly. The offspring are godly. Now that is the natural principle. How much more when we become one will there be spiritual offspring? Believe it, right? We want people to come. Sometimes I wonder though, you know, if, if God brings them in and we're not perfectly in one, what will they see? It would be like bringing a child into a divorced marriage. What will happen to those children? It will not be good. God has done great things. He's brought unity amongst us. Great unity, more than many have. We have that. But if Jesus prayed for the disciples, and Jesus taught them, how much more should we be seeking this thing? <clears throat> so that we can be filled with the Spirit in one accord, and we can see people born again, godly offspring come, because the world is going to believe it when they see it. You know, And this is a burden now that the Lord is give me to pray for this. <clears throat> Just beginning. I don't want more of it. Come on, I encourage you <clears throat> to seek that and pray for that with me. And God will be glorified. Amen.